ready for a new episode of KP Talks Dollars and Cents. Learn financial literacy and get real-time updates on all things housing, finance, and real estate with your host, Kevin Perenio. As an owner and C-level executive for 20-plus years in finance, KP is here to serve you with all of his knowledge and experience. Whether you're a broker, realtor, or just interested in the economy, this is the podcast for you. So let's get started. Here's your host, Kevin Perenio. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. Well, my damn Longhorns lost to the U. So anyway, four teams left for all those that care about March Madness. Final four, hopefully your bracket's still intact. Something like uh, a quadrillion, one in a quadrillion to get all uh, the games correct. Uh, a perfect bracket. Anyway, um, damn Longhorns went cold the last six, seven minutes. Couldn't even shoot. Uh, so what's going on here? I saw a pretty cool quote. I want to read it to you. Um, the future is only allowed to happen at all because the elite didn't see it coming. So think about that. You know, we have a political elite. We have uh, the financial elite. Um, we've got millionaires and billionaires that get demonized uh, by politicians. And we're coming up on election year. Think of the craziness that be going on a year from now. Although I would trade political craziness uh, versus three years ago this time when we were kicking off the stupid pandemic. Can you believe that's been three years since that thing started? Um, gosh, I just looked. There's like 7 million deaths globally on the Johns Hopkins uh, COVID chart and uh, like 1.1, almost 1.2 in America. Unbelievable. Um, seems like forever ago. Uh, anyway, um, but, you know, you're talking about the political elite and uh, the financial elite. And, you know, you saw this run on this bank that happened that um, obviously the elite didn't see it coming. You know, they would have protected themselves, protected their assets. But one uh, group of uh, financial elite did see it coming. And that cohort at Silicon Valley Bank, the second biggest bank failure in American history behind Washington Mutual, uh, was basically a group of, you know, uh, you know, venture capital money. $40 billion, $42 billion left in deposits in a day. And unfortunately, you know, uh, they've been under attack. And again, I'm not trying to get anyone to, you know, have sympathy for millionaires or billionaires. I'm not, that's not the whole point. But, you know, when you constantly have um, political elite and figures in the government, people in the Senate and banking committee saying, pay your fair share, millionaires and billionaires, and villainizing them. And, and literally, the people that create, you know, PayPal and Meta and Uber and all these things and all these jobs and, you know, um, 750,000 jobs created at Amazon, and you have all this money that backs up these companies that creates jobs, but then they get, you know, vilified um, in the press by the political elite. They are going to move their money. They are going to protect themselves. They are in survival mode. And, um, um, you know, the bank didn't see that run on the bank coming. And so deposits have been moving. And if you didn't see my video last week, there are 4,200 banks in America, and the top 10 have 50% of the assets. The top 10, not the top 10%, 10 banks have 50% of America's assets out of 4,200 banks. Again, we're too big to fail. But these elite uh, you know, money centers and these elite classes that set policy, that set um, you know, fiscal policy at the Fed, you know, these, uh, you know, I mean, th this elite, you know, obviously there are unintended consequences with some of these policies and um, there's still some uncertainty. So is the bank crisis over? 
Uh, I don't know, but um, I got to give some more props to Chris Whalen. Um, you know, he uh, writes the Institutional Risk Analyst and um, Whalen Global. He was on CNBC today. I saw a clip of him today talking about, you know, um, this risk of duration. He's been talking about duration. So when we had quantitative easing, the Fed was printing money, basically, you know, issuing more debt, right? More treasuries. They were buying, uh, you know, selling to open mortgage-backed security positions. And so quantitative easing, and if you saw on LinkedIn today, you can search around after you see my 10 minutes of rambling here, two 15-minute parts, Brian Zitten at Regora did a good job as CEO of Regora, um, appraisal tech that we use at PRMG, we love it. Um, the, uh, he had uh, Brian Wilkie on there explaining, you know, a lot of the mechanisms of what the Fed does with their operations. The difference between quantitative easing, like how we saw from 2020 and until about a year ago, when they were, they were, you know, putting liquidity into the system, growing the money supply with no, like, uh, cap, you know, um, on uh, duration. Now, it's interesting because when you have treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, you can hold these securities until maturity and make your revenue as they go. But if you have to market to market, which is what Chris Whalen has been talking about, then those things are not worth as much money. You have to take a loss, maybe 20%, because people aren't, you know, they don't want to pay for a 3% mortgage-backed security when, you know, the going right up there is the coupon's five and a half, you know? So um, those lower yielding interest coupons and in, in securities, if forced to mark to market like Silicon Valley Bank had to do to shore up their assets because they were having a run on the bank as deposits were leaving, they took losses and that just exacerbated the run. That was a crisis of confidence, by the way, Consumer Confidence Report comes out in the morning. So, duration risk is still out there. We don't know who's going to have to mark these securities that they're holding for maturity to market at some point when there's a need arise. We don't know what's coming. I don't know if it's a black swan event. I, you know, I can't say there's systemic issues. But the Fed uh, sure seems to think that they shored this thing up. So, uh, Citizens Bank, which, by the way, uh, bought CIT and also... Uh, bought First Franklin for those on the mortgage side. Um, they own that mortgage arm. Um, Citizens Bank um, just what was the winning bidder in an FDIC, um, the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, the FDIC, which has $120 billion trying to backstop losses for our 250000 or under deposits or any banks in the system that may lose money. Uh, in this two-week bidding process, Citizens Bank won uh, the bid of the assets for Silicon Valley Bank. So now they'll have uh, more branches. They'll have more uh, wealth management. They'll have everything except actually the treasury assets. So $20 billion loss to the $128 billion FDIC um, insurance fund. And so all the remaining banks out there over the next couple of years will have fees that they'll have to be paying about 3% of their profit over the coming, let's say, five years um, that they'll have to be replenishing this FDIC fund so, uh, you know, I guess the fund is there to do its job, right? So, um, you know, I'll get into some more stats in that in a second. Um, by the way, uh, we had an awesome meeting last week, in case you missed my update, for the California Mortgage Banker Association. Um, I'm on the board of directors. Think that whole group was a great experience in Sacramento. The California Mortgage Innovators Conference is coming up um, in Anaheim. And so if you want to be a sponsor, this is a technology show, a tech showcase show. Um, you know, in, it's based in California, which obviously is a tech hub. 
and 25 to 28% of all mortgage lending is done in the state of California. It's a big show. So if you want to be a sponsor, I recommend it. It's usually really well done. It's in Anaheim. You can make a Disney vacation out of it through the weekend, bring your family. Um, it's in May and late May. So, um, you know, come on out. It'd be pretty cool. All right. Um, I think it's actually, I think it's around June. Um, I don't have the exact date, but anyway, look it up. Um, I think it's around Father's Day weekend, if I'm not mistaken. So June 14th, 15th, I believe. Okay. <clears throat> now, uh, by the way, I brought up consumer confidence. Um, we have a PCE number coming out on Friday. That, um, I believe is the, uh, it's, is it the PCE? Let me, let me consult with Robbie Chrisman, uh, Rob Chrisman's, uh, son, which by the way, Rob Chrisman is on the board of the California, uh, NBA board of directors had a great chance to break bread with him last week. Um, we are going to get, um, some data this week. We are going to have the PCE, uh, which is a, uh, a, uh, producer uh, uh, consumption expenditure number. It's it's one of uh, uh, the Fed's favorite measuring tools. That's coming out. So thank you, Robbie, for uh, lining that up there. And he said something pretty interesting that um, some more Fed recap here, that the, uh, the uh, additional firming may be appropriate versus previously saying additional uh, firming will be appropriate. Now, that was seen as... Um, you know, we might be done with Fed rate hikes. Um, now, uh, it was interesting, Steve Leishman from CNBC asked uh, Chairman Powell about that, and he said that the focus should be on the words may and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, firming. So, some in may. So, he, he was kind of trying to make some uh, emphasis. By the way, Elliot Eisenberg, the Bowtie Economist, is on Mortgage Pros 411 tomorrow, so check that out. And he's had a couple good updates lately. Uh, in a move largely anticipated, the Fed boosted, you know, by 25. And he also uh, mentioned ongoing increases in target rate uh, with some additional policy firming may be necessary. So he brought that statement up as well. Some in May. And, of course, he talked about the insurance fund with the bailout. So lots going on. Some, some fallout here. We'll get in, in some more of the uh, data later this week and have a great one. Cheers. Hey, it's KP coming to you live from Corona, California. This is one of the earliest videos I've ever done for you on a Thursday night, so uh, it's uh, end of the quarter, end of the month. This year is one-fourth over, and we've been hustling to try and get this uh, spring purchase business out the door. A little bit of a false start here at spring purchase season. We had a little spike up in rates, uh, which affected locks, you know, late January into early February, which kind of trickled into fundings, but... Um, happy to say that um, our company is up in fundings and locks, and things are looking very promising for next month as well, and I'm sure it is for everybody. All ships rise to the tide, right? Uh, the Freddie Mac rate just came out, the average Freddie Mac rate, and it came down a little bit to 6.32% on an average 30-year fix. I think it was 6.38 last week, according to uh, oh, 6.42, excuse me. Um, according to uh, watching Robbie Crispin, that's Rob's son, and his cap market section of the Crispin blog. And the Mortgage Banker Association, I go to mba.org and I go to the newsroom and I like to read the articles there. And they talked about loan applications being up. So uh, pretty cool stuff. Quick little look and see how uh, the CME is thinking about uh, the Fed Fund's future rate. They still think there's going to be uh, no rate hike May 3rd. And uh, that's interesting because... Um, you know, we're at 4.75 to 5 on the terminal rate right now with the Fed 
on their last uh, rate hike. And uh, there's a 47% chance that they won't hike rates. Just the other day on Monday night, it was 58% chance that they won't uh, hike rates. So now uh, it's 52.8%. This is CME tool. So you can go to cmegroup.com and you can look up the Fed Funds future tool. So it's uh, a pretty cool way to sit there and go, what does the market think day-to-day, minute-by-minute by trading futures on where the Fed is going to take their action? So why did it go up? Why do they think there's going to be a quarter raise on uh, the next meeting, which is May 3rd? Um, which, by the way, the next meeting after that is June 14th, and the market currently thinks that they're done after this next one more quarter raise. And I happen to agree with that, even though just a couple days ago, the Fed Fund Future Tool is saying there was a 58% chance there'd be no raising. Now, that was a little bit of fear and trepidation coming from all the bank fallout, all the stuff with you know a couple banks in our country failing and having to be uh, shored up and some um, saved. $20 billion hit to our FDIC insurance fund. I guess it did its job. Um, there's like $100 billion in mortgage-backed securities just between Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank sitting there waiting to be sold. They're in receivership of the FDIC. Hopefully they don't sell it at a bad price because all of us holding, uh, you know, for maturity, holding our portfolios, the price, if we were to put it on the open market, now has a lower comp. It's like if your neighbor uh, just fire sold the house and crushed the value on your street because they had to get out of it for some reason. I don't know. They got to move. Someone died. There's a job, a divorce, whatever. You know, you know the seven Ds, right? Deployment, uh, diamonds, diapers, debt, divorce. I like to say debt again after that. Downsizing and death. All these life events make people sell houses. Well, here was a life event. The extinguishing of life for two uh, banks that were um, over-levered. And now they got to fire sell an asset that we all buy and sell. Remember, the, the secondary market is cold, heartless, and unforgiving. We buy and sell money backed by a home and a bar making that payment. And... Whatever people pay for these assets when they're sold in the open market is the price action. And so um, it'd be interesting because it might force a lot of people who have not sold mortgage-backed securities in their portfolios, their MSR, mortgage servicing rights, MBS, um, agencies sometimes are called. It's like, you know, just one notch below the flight to safety of a treasury. But price action, whether it's the stock market, bonds, futures, your house, gold, the price is what people are willing to pay, supply and demand. So right now, after seeing a couple banks fail because they got over-levered with mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, you think other banks are in a hurry to buy more mortgage-backed securities? So there's going to be a fire sale, potentially. And it will be interesting how that impacts uh, independent mortgage bankers and banks and their balance sheets. Now remember, we could hold to maturity, which means we could market whatever we think it's worth based on the value of the servicing paying us little Bits here and there, 25 basis points a year minus your servicing cost. Let's call it four, five, or six basis points. You can hold that. You could say it's going to last six, seven, eight, nine years. Some people are saying these 3% rates are going to last for 11 or 12 years. It's all kind of funny money, right? Until you got to sell it. So mark to market versus hold to maturity. Think about that. Okay, enough of that. Big inflation read tomorrow. The Fed's preferred inflation reading, the PCE. Now, I'm so tired and exhausted on Monday night, I apologize. I totally fumbled my words. Uh, personal consumption expenditures. It is more of a live, real-time, what people are paying for stuff, goods and services. And there's a little bit less weight 
um, on housing than there is in the CPI data report. Nevertheless, this is one of the Fed's preferred measures it's called the, uh, the, you know, the deflator, the Fed deflator. What are people paying last month for expenses? What are they paying? Um, and, uh, you know, look, there's a lot of components in here. We all know that services, you know, people paying for dinner and travel and leisure and going out and it's expensive right now and people are still doing it. Hell, there's $5 trillion in cash sitting in money markets right now, cash on the sidelines. People are have nested equity. They've got equity in their homes, you know, so people feel rich. You know what? Some things are getting less expensive, more expensive. Maybe eggs have come down. You know, wheat has come down. Uh, people aren't traveling as much, so oil and gas has come down. So, you know, there's these little pockets of where people spend that are rolling up, down, up, down. You know what's not rolling? Is that 3% mortgage we all did a year and a half or a year ago. That's a fixed payment. If you're not a homeowner, now you know why. You fix in that payment, you get low rates, you fix your shelter cost. So now you got all this extra money. Maybe you switched jobs, took a higher paying job. Wage inflation, remember the wage price spiral? We've been talking about that. Got a little extra money because you fixed your housing costs. So you got all this stuff over here. Value your home's going up. Eggs are coming down. Gas is coming down. I'm going to go out. Go out to dinner. I'm going to spend more money on leisure, hospitality, travel, those ex expensive airline tickets. And it might show up tomorrow with maybe a little bit higher than expected um, inflation read. The Fed's watching. Uh, there's more data coming out. There's another... Uh, PCE read and CPI print coming out before the May 3rd meeting. So we shall see. Q4 GDP, our gross domestic product is based on consumer spending, which is why, uh, you know, the consumption expenditure is a very important um, aspect. The Fed's favorite, 70% of our economy, economy is based on consumer spending. So um, how was GDP? Well, Q4 came down. Um, I saw that Robbie wrote uh, four, you know, like 3.2%, 3.4%, something like that. I'm sorry, 2.7% for Q4. Now, some of the Fed, um, whether it's Jeremy Siegel, Professor of Wharton, uh, whether it's Robbie Chrisman, whether it's Dan Habib and Barry Habib talking, um, you know, it's a very interesting point. I've been hearing it for a little while, but I just want to accentuate this. The Fed thinks that our GDP for the year will be 0.4%. Now, if right now we're at 3.2% for Q1, okay, how bad do the next three quarters have to be to bring that average down to just 0.4%? It's a negative 2.8% on average the next three quarters. So are things going to fall off a cliff? I don't see them falling off a cliff unless we lose jobs. And when you lose jobs, you have borrowers that don't have wages to then pay for goods and services to keep inflation high. So until that cracks, which it hasn't yet, um, which we just saw um, weekly jobless claims every Thursday, weekly jobless claims came out today, um, edged a little bit higher, went up about 7,000 to 198,000 new claims, continuing claims, 1.7 million bars, continuing to have weak, to have jobless claims, means they have not found a new job. That labor market we're watching, is it going to stay stable? Will it hold up? Is that what a soft landing looks like? Is anyone even talking about a soft landing? No. So I'm bringing it up because no one's talking about it. It's not off the table. And by the way, tech stocks are rallying. What's up with that? I'm not responsible for your losses, only your profits. I'm not a financial advisor. But it's very interesting to see this rolling recession 
Let's make sure we talk about that going forward. There are certain sectors. Oh, commodities, oh, recession. Okay, your manufacturing, up, oh, going down. Housing, we're getting blown out, right? But, you know, technology, maybe they did their layoffs. They got their cost structure right. Technology is deflationary. We are going to see in the next couple weeks when Q1 earnings season starts in earnest. Have a fantastic weekend. Cheers. You've been listening to KP Talks Dollars and Cents, a top-rated show for those who want to learn about the economy and mortgage environment. Tune in each week for more episodes, and please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Kevin Perenio does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through KP Talks Dollars and Cents. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. For more info, follow KP Talks Dollars and Cents on all of our social channels. 